Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. Hey, everyone. This is Casey Stubbs, and we're here with a new episode of the How to Trade a Podcast, and I'm here with Michael Guyed from the Lead Lag Report. Uh, he's a five-time Dow Founders Award winner. Thanks for being on the show, Michael. No, I appreciate the invite. I'm really excited to have you here today. Uh, I, I'll follow you on Twitter, get a lot of great information from your Twitter feed, and I listen to your your daily Twitter show. So how long have you been putting on that daily show, and uh, what's the what do people get out of it if they listen to it? Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. So um, you know, in response to Clubhouse, which got a lot of attention last year, Twitter started – creating this feature that they called Spaces, which is basically just a, a way for somebody to create a live audio conversation. Unlike a podcast, it doesn't necessarily get archived. It's just meant to be sort of a, an avenue for engagement beyond the tweet. So it became clear to me that they were really pushing it hard after Thanksgiving with a Twitter app update, which in the center of the navigation bar has the Spaces icon. So I figured, all right, well, you know, might as well make this a thing, be kind of the first to really kind of push hard in the FinTwit world um, and started doing it the day after Thanksgiving, which happened to be the day that the Omicron news hit. And if you remember, that was a, a really nasty down day. And of course, um, you know, nothing like volatility to get attention. Right. So the very first show, we had something like 2000 people tune in. And, yeah, I started really kind of formalizing it a bit more, getting different guests every single day. Uh and it, I'll tell you, selfishly, I, I like doing it because as much as I am usually the one being interviewed, right, it's in, 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 in market discussions, to get out of the echo chambers and to get out of the sort of traditional financial media world, it's really actually a big deal, right? And, and I think long-form conversations, nothing can beat it as long as you get the user's attention span, right, the listener's attention span. So... I've been every single day getting get different guests, you know, and, and, and fortunately it's been getting good, uh, good traction. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, as a, as a host and a guy who asks a lot of questions, it's really valuable for me to be able to engage with people, dive deep and get outside my own box. I'll just tell you being a host has really helped me um, grow as a person uh, just from all the great questions. And that's why I'm excited to be here today. <laughs> um Okay, well, I know that on your profile you talk about um, risk on and risk off, and that it's really something that people need to understand uh, if they're investing. Can you un- uh, define what that means and why is it important for people to understand that? So, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the term risk on, risk off from the major financial media outlets, and usually when the traditional media outlets say risk on, they're talking about direction. Right. So if the stock market's positive for the day, they say it's a strong risk on day. If they say it's red for the day, it's a strong risk off day. To me, risk on risk off is not at all about direction. Right. It's first and foremost about conditions. Right. That favor an accident in the stock market. 
And where that comes from are five different research studies that I put out since 2014. Each of them, as you noted, has won a different award. Each of them I presented on all over the U.S. at CFA chapters. Um, and each of them basically uh, document these leading indicators to volatility. That there are certain relationships which have the commonality in terms of interest rate sensitivity that tend to get ahead of major black swan events, crashes, corrections, bear markets. Risk off from that framework is ultimately about those indicators warning that it's starting to rain, you may want to slow down. Now, that can happen as the stock market itself is still hitting new highs. Good example of that is January, February 2020. Now, I run a mutual fund that uses some of these indicators, the ATAC rotation fund. It went risk off in treasuries because the indicators it follows that conditions favored an accident late January before the COVID crash hit. The indicators did what they historically do. They got ahead of the major uh, events. So when you have the framework from an investing standpoint, not about direction, but about conditions where the big declines can occur, it creates a whole different mindset in terms of not just risk on, risk off, but how to think about what risk really is. Risk is not what happened in the past. Risk is the condition changing and you not responding fast enough in advance of the accident. So just to try to wrap my mind around it in my own terms and maybe help the listeners a little bit, risk off means that I should be pulling risk off. I should be taking money out of the table because now the markets have a possibility of detracting, which is always the case, but more likely than so I want to take hands off risk off. It's a time to play it a little safer. Okay. So now this is a good discussion again, because you're correct. Most people, when they hear the term risk off, they think, well, that means literally take risk off the table as opposed to what are the areas of the market that can allow you to make money during a higher volatility, higher risk period. And this kind of goes into a discussion around market timing, right? So we all have seen studies that show that market timing doesn't work, right? Going in and out of stocks. Oftentimes, those studies prove that market timing doesn't work because the expression of risk off is cash, right, is to try to go into the asset which has no risk, which doesn't move. The problem with that is that if you have a set of signals that you follow and your signal is wrong in a moment in time and your risk off in cash, taking risk off the table, the problem is you have no chance at momentum. Right, because you're just cash, you're not moving. Right? There's no there's no trend. You're you're just static. So you miss out as the market itself keeps going higher, in which case the risk off was actually a risk on, right? In other words, it was it was it was the wrong risk to take, right? From that standpoint. Now, if however you define risk off in terms of what areas of the marketplace allow you to be wrong and still make money, what areas of the marketplace allow you to benefit from higher volatility, higher risk in the vast majority of other assets. That's a different type of calculation because you still could lose money being risk off in treasuries. You could still lose money being risk off in hedge strategies, right, to some extent. But at least if you're wrong and you're risk off, you can still make money because you're still in something that's not perfectly inversely correlated and there's still some kind of momentum potential. And that's a nuance that's really important. So, for example, if you don't use any indicators and strategies I'm known for and backtest them, and your expression of risk-off was cash, you see that it doesn't work. If your expression of risk-off was shorting, 
you'll see it doesn't work. If your expression of risk off is treasuries, utilities, consumer staples, healthcare, you'll see it works wonderfully. Right. So it's an important distinction. I'm glad you mentioned it because risk off is not about taking risk off the table because sometimes the risk is not taking the risk. Risk off is about what benefits in the event you have a major decline in equities. So then you're looking for um, not necessarily cash positions, but something risk off means where is the opportunity? So risk off is maybe I'm pulling it out of the main market and I'm pulling it into something else that is going to provide uh, that's going to work a lot better. Right. And, and, you know, the real extreme example of that, of course, is treasuries, which historically are your kind of best risk off asset. And you've seen that historically when you have high volatility periods in equities, we've all heard the ter- that term. There's a flight to safety trade, right? Money rushes into treasuries. Treasury yields drop. You make money in treasuries during that momentary VIX spike, that fear period. Um, and then hopefully, obviously, you can then lock that in and then go risk on into equities at at a lower price point. Um, you can argue the same thing with certain sectors like utilities, which are the most bond-like sector of the stock market. Same thing with consumer staples. You know, it's areas that can benefit from a reallocation in terms of risk sentiment from risk seeking to risk averse. The key thing is, can you do that quickly enough? And can you spot those changes in a way that allows you to take advantage of it? Because the problem with risk-off periods, as you know, is that they tend to be momentary in time. Right. Unless you have a real traditional bear market, which you can argue is harder and harder to have when the Fed is so act, uh, so much of an activist, you have to be really quick when these dislocation conditions present themselves and also quick to then go back risk on into those areas which would benefit from a lower volatility regime after the tail event has occurred. Well, if you look at, you know, when you say you got to be quick, I don't know, maybe things are just because of the the new world that we live in, everything's so fast now, you know, a bear market and a bull market, it used to take long. Now it's happening really fast. Uh, technology. Like if we look at 2020, when we had that really big drop, um, there was probably some risk off opportunities there, but it was only a few months. Uh, and so is there a, a way to take advantage of it in such a fast period of time? So th- this is at the heart of, of what I do, because I think the problem is most people manage risk after the fact, right? So if you look at a lot of hedge funds, for example, you'll see that a lot of hedge funds tend to de-risk, de-gross at certain VIX levels after a VIX spike, a volatility spike. And the VIX is really just reactionary. It's not anticipatory. All of the work that I put out there in terms of utilities against the market, lumber relative to gold, uh, long duration treasuries against intermediate, they're all meant to be anticipatory. So it goes back to the conditions arguments, right? They tell you the weather. You don't know, you don't need to, I always use this line. You don't need to know the exact mile marker. You might crash your car. You just need to know when to slow down. And my argument would be that these areas are observable. They tend to get ahead of the major declines just because they're warning that it's raining. doesn't mean you will crash. It's that when you crash, they tend to already warning. And that's a really also critical distinction because every signal, every uh, everything that, that a trader uses to make a decision ultimately has cycles that it does better or worsen. So if you're in an environment like 2020, you have risk on, risk off. You had the COVID crash and then you had risk on afterwards. You're in an environment like 2021. 
it's pure risk on. There is no risk off, even though I, I would argue there are plenty of junctures where conditions were there for the accident. But with hindsight, you should have been pedal to metal. Right. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. Yeah, no, it was definitely at the time there was a lot of fear going on. Yeah, and and you know every again I go back to cycles matter, right? So we had one extreme risk on risk off 2020 worked wonderfully for the signals and the funds that I run. Uh, here comes 2021, polar opposite. Okay, pure risk on, which means you keep getting whipsawed, you keep slowing down, entering the storm, never having the accident. People then start saying, "Well, your signal is not working," and then guess what? Suddenly it does because everyone starts to abandon belief in what the approach tells you about. And it's funny, you know, I, I really do view the investing process more around risk management than return generation. Because if you can cut off your big declines, even if you lag in the up periods, as long as you've cut off the big declines, people underestimate how powerful the compounding is of not having a big loss. The problem, of course, is that you have to be one in an environment where there are big losses to begin with, right? But you also have to have people that are patient because you don't know when the loss occurs. Just like every time you slow down and you're driving, you don't know if that's a storm where you have the accident, but you have to keep slowing down. Right. And there will be signals when things are changing, uh, but you just don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, there's indica- like you said, indicators. And so that's why timing is so difficult is because you're like, okay, this is good. There's some signals here that saying we could turn, but, we don't know when that's going to happen. And people try to time it, then they bail. And then when they, by the time that they bail, then they just missed it. it. It's funny, right? Because a lot of people talk about correctly. So this is a game of probabilities, right? You have to go where the probabilities are highest for any particular outcome. The problem is when people say that they underestimate the likelihood of them believing that in the small sample, in the single roll of the die. Right, because if you're going to talk about probabilities, you need to have multiple roll of the die for the probabilities to manifest in terms of being in your favor. But we're living in the here and now, right? So you can say that there's a a 99% chance that uh, stocks will go up in uh, December of of 2018, and then that 1% is where the correction happens. It's still correct that there's a 99% probability, but because we live in the here and now it becomes very hard to really kind of create a strategy, especially when there's emotion involved, when you see your portfolio doing something other than what the headline averages are doing. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. So I want to shift gears here for a minute, and I'm I I follow you on Twitter, and that's where I learn a lot of some of the things that you've been posting and things. And I, for me, it's a real news source and I pay attention to it. You're one of the few people that I have on my auto follow uh, that has all the notifications show up. You get and, a lot of notifications on per day, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely active. So one of the things you were uh, tweeting about recently was you, uh, you had the topic of the metaverse and there was a specific, and I don't know if you, how, you remember since you're on Twitter a lot, but there was an image of Walmart and it was the people walking in to Walmart and they said, this is what they envision in the metaverse. And uh, with it, thinking of that in terms of investing in the future, uh, do you think that there's a lot of opportunity and what type of things would you be looking at for people to get involved in investing in this kind of thing? So, so taking a step back, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, I come at this from the standpoint of, I believe, everyone else, which is that nobody knows what the hell tomorrow brings. Right. And now, okay, so now I do believe that there, yes, there probably is a significant opportunity to make money there because at the end of the day, Meta slash Facebook, they got all the brightest, they got all the data, and they probably know more than anybody else the likelihood of something becoming a big thing because they've got a lot of underlying information to to create regressions on and extrapolate, right? My my criticisms around the metaverse are more about where we are as a society in terms of the way we're just trying to constantly escape. And I understand the use cases for corporations, but the reality is nothing at the end of the day will ever replace physically going somewhere and touching something. And the problem that I have with the narrative around the metaverse thesis uh, from an investment standpoint is all this may be valid, just like Bitcoin may end up eating the world. But it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Right. People talk about this stuff like it's an immediate event. This shit takes time. No, and, you know, and, and, and time is at the end of the day, in many cases, sometimes your enemy as an investor. Because it depends on when you need your money. What's your risk tolerance? Are you able? It, you can argue that Bitcoin's going to be you know, 10 million in 10 years. Okay, but if it goes down to 10,000 before that and you need that money, you can still be right, but you'll be wrong for a moment in time in a very painful way. So it's much more a criticism, not around whether something is going to be the next big thing or not, but how long it takes. And time and time again, we've seen plenty of studies in behavioral finance and psychology that show that the human mind is very poor at judging how long something takes and how much it costs. You can see that if you've ever done any kind of home construction project. Right. It's always more expensive and always takes longer than any estimates you could imagine, even though at some point it comes to the future comes to the present. So I do think there's opportunity, but opportunity longer term is very different than the price you pay now, because the path is what determines returns, not sort of the end point. Yeah, that's it. That's a really good point. I know when you use that example of the time, like they overestimate the time and, or uh, me personally, I always think something's going to get done really fast and it's going to be cheap. You know, as like, as a business owner, I'm launching a new product. It's like, okay, this is going to be cheap and fast. Let's get it done. And then six months later, it's like, what happened? We didn't do anything. We spent all this money. So yeah, that's, that's a great point. And another point on when you said that you don't know what is, is coming tomorrow I was just thinking when I saw that that image because you made the comment that you're going to walk into your home wall, and uh, 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book Fahrenheit 451, but it was written. Oh, yeah, by great memory. And they had the walls, you know, and uh, that was written in 1953. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he was able to see it, but it's still not here yet, which I find that pretty fascinating. And a lot of that stuff in the book wasn't on point, but it's kind of cool when you see something like that that is on point. By the way. By the way, you know, one of my uh, favorite quotes is from Ray Bradbury, the author of that book. And it's something along the lines of the best time to build your wings is after you've jumped over the cliff. Which I think is a really beautiful quote, right? Because the argument is that stop thinking about when to take risks. Sometimes you just have to learn by doing right. And and you have to have urgency, obviously, to do that. Um, so, it, 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 yeah, it's look, there's um, I go back to where a lot of my my tweets which few understand are focused you say that in there that's like your tech catch line sorry for interrupting but yeah, yeah, yeah. Understand this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and i do that you know i mean it's partially a jab at the bitcoin maximalist community because you know that's something they would constantly say and i only say that sarcastically because this idea that few understand anything is such a ridiculous concept to begin with because it's like of course people understand things. It's, nobody has any unique knowledge, any insider information that makes them more knowledgeable about what tomorrow brings than everybody else. What, what's, the, the ironic thing about the few understand this line, which I've now been tagged with, is few understand that I'm actually using it to jab at the co- comment few understand, right, as, as part of that, that. Yeah, I had no idea until now, so I'm really glad that I got that out there. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it goes back to sort of, you know, I, I'm very big on markets humble you and you have to have a degree of humility in everything that you do in life. So uh, and, and that's why I always rant about things like store value and terminology, because you have to recognize that, again, nobody knows what tomorrow brings. So have humility and understand and doubt yourself also, because you can never really have confidence in any investment unless you've poked holes at it and not only listen to yourself, but listen to other voices. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in humility, and uh, I think that for me, I'm I'm an achiever. You know, not like I'm an amazing person, but I always have big goals. Like I can't help it; it's just in me. Like I've got, I set the bar really high, and as a person that does that, I've learned humility time and time again because it seems like 99% of the stuff I do ends up in failure, right? And so to keep trying to press that by bar higher, you're like, wow, I'm just not all that. I mess up every single day. And it's ultimately the 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 best form of protection is humility, right? To yourself, because if you know, say what what gets most people into trouble when it comes to investing, it's the opposite. It's the overconfidence, right? Because what happens when you're overconfident? Well, you know, more risk than what you need, risk, of course, right? And more leverage too, right? Which yeah. you constantly see, by the way, in the crypto community, right? So yeah. I, keep, I keep making this point, you know, with people that think that. I'm anti-Bitcoin. It's not that I'm anti-Bitcoin. I'm anti-narratives that people get so focused on because the problem is not technology the pro- and, and the power of blockchain. The problem is people's reaction to it, which causes them to be overconfident, which causes leverage, which then causes the crashes, which end up hurting a lot of people that should not feel that pain because of where they are in that in, in their life cycle. Right? That, that to me is more the problem. It always goes back to behavior more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. I'm glad you're mentioned on Bitcoin. And I, I prepared a, something uh, for the interview because I have seen that you talk about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, meme stocks are really big right now. And even now they're doing meme coins and stuff. And my kids, my son's 15. 
and like for them, memes are a big deal. And now I'm seeing it in the market. To me, it's still, I still can't wrap my head around it, but I, I got a meme for you that I wanted. Well, before I show you is, is there any memes that you've seen online um, being in Twitter that you find fascinating or that you've enjoyed? I mean, I try my best to put out once I learned how to do memes with, with one of these apps I downloaded, I started, uh, actually studying the meme verse, if you will. All right. And, and figuring out ways of doing it, but, uh, we'll take a look at the one that you put up here. Yeah. So I put this meme here, uh, on my screen. I want you to give me your reaction to it. And if you're listening on the show, I'm going to post it in the description so you guys can see it. It proves the point that Bitcoin's a great investment. That doesn't mean it's a store of value. So, because if you do, you can do these, a similar meme and simply show stocks in its place. Right. Cause it, what, Right, because ultimately, what you're what, what this, so let's kind of deconstruct this. You know, anybody that probably shows this is basically making fun of the idea that the dollar is a store of value, which it isn't either, right? And that's also an important point, right? That I would argue there are no stores of value because everything at the end of the day has some degree of tail risk, including the U.S. dollar, though less likely because it's the reserve currency. the The problem I have with that meme as a, as a narrative is that one, it assumes that that continues. Again. The future is unknowable. I don't care what any maximalist says. Nobody knows what the future holds when it comes to Bitcoin, period. Sorry. You know, it's like, so from that standpoint, for all we know, the next 10 years could be winter. Right? Just like gold has had periods of winter where it just does nothing for a decade. And it seems inconceivable, but that's the nature of investing. It's what you don't expect that you have to worry about. It really right? does seem, I mean, and I wasn't planning on going here, but it does seem strange to me that gold hasn't done, I mean, it's done okay, but it hasn't really done much. And that is surprising to me. Well, but but it does go back to this point that everything has cycles. Everything has periods where it works, periods where it doesn't. And you, end up, may have, you could have a, a longer term secular cycle that takes centuries to play out. But the, the, the kind of cyclical cycles in between can be very painful where they're not doing all that much, right? So, look, you show anything as far as purchasing power outside of the U.S. dollar uh, since 2012, you could do the same meme and, and probably find even funnier things to kind of allude to the idea of, of the kind of shit show. Oh, that we <laughs> right, you're exactly right. Now, ha- now, so now having said that, that's still not a reason – to go all in on any individual investment, including Bitcoin. I've been very much a proponent of the idea that Bitcoin unequivocally makes sense and other cryptocurrencies to some extent too, as long as you weight it properly. But if at the end of the day, Bitcoin is correlated to stocks and is moving off the same risk factors as stocks, what's the difference between stocks and Bitcoin? Nothing. I mean, absolutely. From our perspective, there's nothing. There's no difference. Really, what it just says is that the, basically you want to not be in the dollar. Anything that's exactly right. see at all right now, which by the way, and that's what the Fed wants. I mean, that's what's kind of interesting about this this discussion, which we can tease out a little bit. The Fed wants people out of the dollar because they want the dollar to be used to create transactions activity to inflate away debt. The Fed actually wants, to some extent, the very reason for why Bitcoin is going up. They're 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 causing it purposely. It's there's nothing new there, right? So so. Again, I go back to everything investment at the end of the day has to have some degree of, of proper weighting in the portfolio. And don't think for a second that it's a hedge because in 2020, when stocks went down 33%, so did Bitcoin. 
in in major declines, yes, it can diversify to some extent. But for the most part, when you're in these high volatility events, everything correlates to one, except historically three areas, treasuries, flight to safety trade we alluded to. The dollar tends to go up in those periods, historically, purely fact. And gold is on that list, too, because gold tends to historically behave well when you have these momentary high volatility periods. But don't call something which is correlated to stocks a hedge. It's not a hedge. Yes, you're also, but there's also like a certain some sectors in the market, too. Like you mentioned utilities earlier as well. Right. Certainly on a relative basis. Now, of course, in, in the real extreme declines, utilities, like everything else, will go down hard. Right. right. But they may go down 10 percent as opposed to down 20 still down hard on an absolute basis. So it still provides somewhat of a better uh, diversifier hedge-like potential, even though the relative performance is not as great as treasuries during those periods. But you're right. I, I, I do think that, and listen, the reality is there are not that many true risk-off assets, right? Again, it's it's because the world runs on risk-on. Progress happens from taking risk. So of course, the vast majority of investable assets will be those which are sensitive to risk-seeking behavior. Yeah, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, uh, what are some some indicators? I know you're an indicator person. What are indicators that we could be getting into risk off period? Like, what should the people that are listening? Because right now everything's risk on. I mean, it's like 100 miles an hour risk on. But what are, what should we be looking for to know when risk off is coming? Yeah. So so and this kind of goes to the heart of the research. And yeah, I stand from the perspective of not just somebody who's writing, you know putting out a lot of content tweets and you know, publishing the lead lag report. But, you know, I, I put out research studies to prove this quantitatively. It's not my opinion. Anybody can download the data and see that there's validity to these various indicators. I've won awards documenting. The three main ones are utilities relative to the stock market. So if utilities outperform the stock market on a short-term basis, generally you tend to see volatility rise afterwards. That's a truism that goes back to the late 1920s. Uh, lumber relative to gold, when lumber is weak relative to gold, you tend to also see higher volatility in stocks, more tail risk. And then long duration treasuries relative to intermediate, kind of a form of yield curve flattening, but longer on the longer end of the curve. Historically, those tend to get ahead of major stock market crashes, corrections in bear markets. Now, what unites the three indicators? What unites the three relationships is that they are all ultimately about interest rates. So utilities are the most bond-like sector of the stock market. Treasuries, of course, are interest rates. Well, what about lumber to gold? Well, lumber is about housing, which is about mortgage rates. And gold, you can argue, benefits from negative real rates, although obviously not this most recent period. So the joke about the research is that I basically teased out the same concept using the different ways of getting to the same place. Typically, in major declines, you'll see in advance of the major declines in the stock market, utilities strong relative to the market. At the same time, lumbered gold is weak. At the same time, long-duration treasuries are performing intermediate. They will warn you of conditions favoring the accident. So it's not one of those things, for example, where somebody would say, well, which indicator is the best? Which indicator is the one to follow? Every indicator has its own false signals. But when they're right, they tend to all kind of line up. Do you uh, write about what you're seeing in the lead lag report? Like, are you giving your readers updates on what the indicators are saying and when you think risk off periods could be coming? 
Yeah, and, and that's that's pretty much through the kind of a replication of the signals every Monday in the signal section of lead lagger board. There's also a whole section around leaders and laggards, high yield, kind of broader macro thoughts for those that are that are interested in that with a longer time frame. And that that time frame thing is actually really important because unless you're in a secular downturn, which maybe is yet to come, who the hell knows? Uh, but to your point about sort of the frequency with which things, you know, the speed with which things happen, you kind of have to be, you're going to have to be active in the short term if you want to really take advantage of market dislocations before they occur. And then, of course, after. But for those that are real asset allocators, I also have broader work around that. In terms of the funds I run, it's very specific. Roro uses lumber relative to gold. Jojo uses utilities against the market. My mutual fund uses treasuries and utilities. So it's, I'm more than just somebody who talks about this stuff. I'm I'm running this live. And like every other fund manager, there are cycles where what I do makes sense, like 2020, and there are cycles when it doesn't make sense, like 2021. Here in 2022, I'll let you know in 2023 if it makes sense. Excellent. Well, uh, that was a great interview. Thank you so much. Um, I would like for the people that are listening just to know where they can learn more about some of the portfolios that you manage more about your research, uh, your newsletter, things like that. How can they find out about what you're up to these days? Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, the, the most common way will be to follow on social media on Twitter primarily, but also on Instagram and Facebook, kind of all the major platforms. The funds are at atacfunds.com, A-T-A-C-F-U-N-D-S.com. And then of course, leelagreport.com. Listen, I, 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 I'm sincere when I say this. My my objective with the content and the way that I, I, I present myself is to provide a different voice because I'll tell you, as somebody who's done a lot of backtesting, there is a lot of bullshit out there in terms of what people say has predictive power. Unless you can test it, it's all meaningless. So from my perspective, I'm as cynical and skeptical as it gets about narratives and around most of the things that people use as reasons to take an action in an investment which is why I rant on Bitcoin, which is why I rant on a lot of the narratives around stocks. The one thing I do believe is that mean reversion is real. It's consistent. And at the end of the day, that which has led will, uh, uh, which led in the past will lag. That which lagged in the past will lead, right? which kind of goes back to the very reason that I named it the lead lag report. I see. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get you back on the show again. We're out of time today just because uh, – you even as you were closing, I had like a more things I want to talk about. So that's good stuff. Thank you. And uh, for everybody that's listening, m- make sure you guys go follow, follow Michael on Twitter. It's lead lag report. We're going to have all of um, the links that Michael mentioned. It's going to be in the description. So if you're listening, go check it out, check out the report, follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's definitely going to be educated, going to help you be a better trader and investor. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. And and I think you're doing really good work by doing these kind of interviews. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. We'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one. And your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, 
and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.